I'm Andy Palmer of Aston Martin, and I'm delighted to announce our deeper involvement with the Red Bull F1 team and their lovely... <coughs> Tag Heuer engines. The perfect match for the new Aston Martin DB11 V8, with its engine from... Um, <coughs> Casio... Hello there, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth, he's Richard. Hello. And he's Zog. Hello. We almost sang that voice. Mm-hmm. Hello, hello. We like the Beverly Sisters. I am with a large number of people, I would imagine, who are celebrating the fact that TVR is back. Is it is or are back? What's is. Correct? Is. It's a company. It's a company. Yeah. Always a tricky one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a subedit magazine. Yeah, so you always yeah. have to it's a common mistake. Think. Yeah, it More is. More often yeah. made in speech than yeah. in print. I, I was saying with uh, Formula One teams, I mean, really, they should be singular, but yeah. you sort of go, oh, Ferrari are going to do this, McLaren are doing that. And it's, 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 not, it's McLaren incorrect. is. It depends whether the team is doing something. The same, of course, with government. Oh, yes, they are. Yep. It is. Yes, but it's exactly. The government yep. is considering it. <laughs> oh, blimey. Sorry. Gareth are sneezing. <laughs> <laughs> but the TVR that is back is really only a brand that's been relaunched. As <laughs> it's only a, a brand that's been relaunched effectively as a startup. Now, I'm wondering how well they're going to do. On paper, it sounds very promising. Oh, <laughs> Having the great green arkle seizure is what I'm having. <laughs> Good hitchhiker. Yeah. On paper, they've ticked lots of boxes. They've got the car designed by the mighty Gordon Murray. <laughs> oh, blimey. Lord, I'm so sorry, boys. Out of control. I have no control. A car designed by the mighty Gordon Murray and an engine that's been waffulized by the incredible Cosworth. <laughs> but... If you look at the track history of startups over the last, let's say, 10 or 15 years, they've not all been as successful as the only two successful startups I can think of, who are Ariel, who've done an amazing job mm. to start from scratch and really get momentum, and the other one, Tesla. First of all, Ooh, the TV well, are going to do it. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I've got a thought of a third. Unless you're just doing oh, British. Pagani. Yeah. Pagani indeed. Yeah, Pagani indeed. Yeah. But they're, yes. they're, they're, sort of, they're new kids on the block. Yeah, yeah. You know, they've made ah. it sticks. Conexeg. Where Chisetta yeah. didn't. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In the Conexeg. hypermarket, perhaps. <laughs> what have the Romans ever done for us? Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, no, but guys, right, the road is littered with the corpses of those who didn't make it. Yeah, but I don't uh, think there's anything special about the automotive business here. I mean, mm. I think a high proportion of companies that are launched don't yeah. last for 50, 60 years, you know, or yeah. don't make it beyond five years. The lightning car companies. Do you remember we oh, yeah. encountered them right. a few years ago? You mean, what, Gordon Murray, Chris Craft one, making the rocket? Not that no, 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 no. That was the light car company. The light yeah, car yeah. company, not to be confused. Yeah. The lightning car company built what looked like a front-engine British yeah. sports car. Yeah, like a big GT. Kind yeah, of sort of long bonnet. Bristolish in a way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, a it had hub. in-wheel hub yep. electric motors, hub. some nanotube technology for the batteries. There was, yeah, some kind of nano tech wizardry was supposedly mm. going to the batteries and they had some motor racing plans as well they still exist 
Lightning well, well, Car Company still exists. I'm they sl- haven't had much of a profile, though. No. They reckon they can deliver cars, is what they're saying now. But I looked up the business address, and it's just a little office in Old Street above an optician's. It doesn't huh. look like a big concern. But I wish them well, if they can hang in there. Do you, there was another sure. one that came and went that was disastrous. They didn't even show us a car. They threatened, didn't they? What were they called? Eternity. Do you remember them? Weren't they just modifying Porsche exactly. KNs? And I saw but not them, admitting it. Saw them announcing their car. I went to watch in a sort of hidden part of the Frankfurt show. I think it was hidden about six years ago. Yeah. And they'd got Johnny Herbert on uh. the stand to do part of the thing. And they were supposedly he was like their test driver or something. And while the other people were talking, Johnny Herbert looked like a man who was just realising that he was regretting something he'd previously agreed. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite amazing and they were based in park royal in london that's right well remember and in a way i thought their business model wasn't terrible because really someone else had done the hard work which is to develop an engine and chassis and a body and all of the rest of it and they and were just sort, sort of, of modifying a certain yeah. niche so yeah, sawing the bad. door handles off and replacing them with sort of flush a bit like Project Ashton Car style. or someone. Yeah, they were just a glorified Project Car. And, mm. But then they sort of, apparently they were completely retuning the suspension, which is always a risk, but hey, mm. they mm. got Johnny Herbert as a test driver, apparently. Mm. And funny enough, I thought of them only, I don't know, last year sometime, I think. And I looked on Google Street View to have a look at their premises, and it was sort of conspicuously shut up. Mm. So I think they have conspicuously shut up. <laughs> at least they weren't going, hey, we're going to do a whole new car from scratch, bloody blah, blah. And you just go, no, oh, that's hard. Are you sure? sure about this because let's not forget i'm convinced i read this somewhere correct me if i'm wrong but gordon murray said that the hardest part of the mclaren f1 project the amazing and now legendary road car the hardest thing wasn't the engine on the aerodynamics wasn't getting the chassis set up right it was door seals no sealing the doors making car doors seal is a really difficult job and let's be honest in the past some mainstream manufacturers have made a bit of an arse of it and it's it's hard it's hard to do to make them stay in place because the pressure and negative pressure at speed doors sort of want to get sucked open if they're pulled even by a millimetre out of their apertures that makes horrible noise yeah Yeah, they don't seal probably probably relatively easy to make a sort of a rubber seal that kind of seals one way but if it's got to seal with pressure going both ways that can be trickier sorry to digress a little bit but there's an ongoing thing amongst the sort of hyper British car nerd world of which I occasionally am a part about how there was a project that never saw the light of day that was going to be the next project out of Rover after Rover 75 the next mainstream car was going to be a medium sized hatchback mm-hmm. golf sized thing mm-hmm. Project R30 oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they did a load of work on it in Britain and also BMW who were owning the company at the time did a load of work on it in Germany then BMW ditched Rover. And a lot of people, sort of hardcore Rover fans, go, BMW stole Project R30 and made it into the 1 Series, which is not strictly true. The 1 mm-hmm. Series is basically a 3 Series underneath in mm-hmm. terms of its layout. The R30 was a front-wheel drive car. But there is, as far as I can work out, and I've looked into this, one they carry They used the same over. door seals. They <laughs> used the same door seals. They did. The central body section is the same because they'd already done all the work and really? it's a total pain in the arse to do it again. Yeah, so it does... I know it sounds cheaper, but they I, used I, the door seals. I was just making a flippant 
Joking, no, I didn't, but, that's it. but this is an illustration of how long and how fiddly it is to get this so, 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 the, yeah, they've done all the work. They're not going to throw it away. This yeah. is the car that had that sort of strange kink on the C pillar. Is that the one I'm thinking of? The well, R30? The, it had the, yeah, also had some renderings which were yeah. based on actual leaked data from Rome, so they're pretty yeah. accurate. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Talking about door seals, I'm reminded of another startup which failed to manifest. And I think door seals might have played a big part in this. <laughs> That's enough door seals. <laughs> a few years ago, there was an attempt to relaunch the AC car company mm. with a smaller car called the AC Ace that was going to be essentially a rebuild of the Smart Roadster. Yeah. And if I remember, the Smart Roadster had one or two door seal issues. Jonathan Sanderson, who's been on this program a number of times, used to own one. They leaked like buggery. Yeah, I door had seals. One. I had one. You did? Uh, didn't and you? mine wasn't too bad in the general scheme of things. But it's still, on rainy days, just a little trickle of water came at the top of the A-pillar and just ran down the glass onto the door trim. Just enough. It's annoying, isn't it? It was weird, but some of them apparently leaked appallingly and they never got it right and people were taking it back to the dealer and they are going, oh yeah, they've sent us out, we're on to sort of like the third generation of seals oh. now, they're meant to be better, and they weren't. You can forgive it sort of on, you know, a classic car, an older car, but modern car, there shouldn't no, really be any reason for it to... No, uh, but that's the thing, because they but, do yeah, spend hours and years yeah. and months of... Uh, Sorry, I'm getting the wrong units of time here. They spent a long time <laughs> doing these things. The ACA's thing was called Project Kimber, I think, wasn't it? I think Originally, you're right, yes. It was going to be badged as the ACA's in production because the smart roadster had been sort of killed off yep. early. they'd given up. And I don't know how far they went down the road of actually negotiating with Mercedes to buy all of the bits needed to make it, but they released a sketch. It looked sweet, it looked didn't it? With little yeah, round headlamps. Given sort of bug-eye lights, yeah. it looked quite nice, but otherwise... Look like smart roaster, which is no harm in that. Nope. It's quite an interesting looking little car. And then they released what seemed to be a real photo of the interior, but sort of retrimmed in tan leather. Yeah, which looked really nice. It did mm. look spot and then on. I think they were claiming they were going to give it a manual gearbox and build it in Wales. That yeah. was the other thing. It was going to have help from the Welsh government, who are very good at throwing money at projects. But effectively, these things are really just Kickstarter campaigns. We've had a great idea. Yeah. Will you fund it for us? We've got mm. some big management guys. Who's your Favourite startup of all time, Zog? Have you got one? Uh, well, one that comes to mind, a name that you mentioned a few minutes ago, Gordon Murray, or rather Gordon Murray Designs. He set up this company about 10 years ago, I think, I think mm. or something like that. They are not a manufacturer of vehicles, but they are a designer of vehicles and the process for making those vehicles, which I'll come on to in a minute. They license these designs to whoever wants to license those designs or produces designs to order. Are they a turnkey operation? Is that what we call them? I think um, they can be if you want them to be. If you want them to be, yeah. But I think what I like about what they're doing is that he just seems to me to be bringing really smart and clear thinking to the problems that they're addressing. And it's very interesting hearing him talk about the work they do at Gordon Road Designs. And they're a bit sort of behind the scenes. They're not a high-profile operation. Mm -hmm. There haven't been any mass-produced vehicles based on their designs yet. But They're like a skunk works, aren't they? That's an interesting comparison. In terms of the quality of thinking and design Mm. that's going to... I think absolutely, yeah, Mm. yeah. The freedom of thought, the freedom of ideas. And also, I think there's no question, Gordon Murray is one of those few engineers and designers who you can categorically say is a genius. Mm-hmm. Just like, um, who was the guy that designed the SR-71? Jerry something, the Ooh, engineer. I don't know, I'm afraid. Um, 
the name escapes me now, but, yeah. uh, you know, again, you're a genius aerodynamicist and engineer. Among the designs that they've come up with are the T25 and T27 city cars, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people have seen. 25 was the internal combustion engine version, and 27 was the electric one. Didn't one of them become a Yamaha city car? But what Yamaha bought, yes, I don't know what's of. going on there, and Shell also bought. Oh, they did, that's right. The right yeah. to sort of use it and possibly, I don't know what's but going on. But neither have manifested, have they? Well, no. the Yamaha is still on the way. I, I believe it? it's set for sort of 2018 or 2019 oh. launch. I believe, mm. and it's called the Motive or Motive E. It's M O T I V dot E. Right. It's still on the way, and it is based on the uh, 27, Mind and this electric. is all electric. You'd have to say the Yamaha looks a bit more conventional and a bit sweeter, to be honest, than yeah, the, yes, nice than the T25. Car, There's yeah. an awkwardness about the T25 and the T27. Yeah. Another product of Gordon Murray Designs is a truck called the Ox. Now, this was a design brief from a charity, a humanitarian trust involved in the developing world, and they said, can you design a truck for Africa? You know, a flat really pack a, truck. Exactly. This was part of the challenge. It has yeah. to be rugged, cheap, reliable, and flat pack. Yeah. They came up with this thing called the Ox OX, which is a fantastic little truck. A great load-carrying capacity. Little it, wheels. It's a diesel mm. engine. It flat packs and can be assembled by lightly trained people in about mm. 12 hours at its destination. Mm-hmm. Because it's flat pack, you can fit six of them in a shipping container instead of two. And, and sold at IKEA outlets all over Europe, if you want. There you go. There's some lovely <laughs> um, detail in that Ox. Like in the back, you can have it There's two... Sort of bench seats running longitudinally, longitudinally indeed. But they also can convert into ramps, and you can load things into the back, or they can be sort of like sand ladders and get you out of trouble. And so stuff like that. Really simple but elegant thinking. It's nice. Yeah, it is good design. A minimum fully fully independent suspension. Mm. And I think the first two prototypes had six-speed gearboxes, and then they've knocked that back to a five-speed. It's a four box. There's a transit engine in there because I think because it's just less complication and the five-speed box is stronger, and it's all about sort of simplifying. They realise it doesn't need a six-speed cruising gear. It's going to places where there aren't any motorways, so it's just unnecessary. It's adding yeah. weight and complexity. Why have it been it? So they have done it. It's that sort of thinking as well. That sort of Horses mm. for courses. Mm. Creating something that will fill a niche and do everything that's required of it to a spec, a tick box. Nice. And it's interesting that motorsport fans, we know Gordon Murray as this fiendishly clever designer who came up with a fan car, you know, mm. and all kinds of other wonderful F1 cars, and the McLaren F1. But he's addressing different design challenges here. And he said it's not so much of a challenge to design a supercar, a really fast car anymore, mm. although designing the best very fast car is a whole other thing. But the big challenge is how do you design a car that can work in a modern city and can work in a modern city for the next 50 years you need vehicles that have a very small footprint both physically mm-hmm. to fit on the city roads better and in terms of carbon footprint over their lifetime yeah. and they've come up with a clever completely thought out manufacturing process that can be set up much more cheaply and easily than a conventional car factory so you can do it with much less investment more quickly more easily than you could set up a plant to build conventional vehicles clever smart thinking composite materials but cheaper composite materials Mm. than you would have in motorsport and nice uh, he's gordon murray designs i think are yeah my favorite new company of the new era i guess richard you must have spotted a startup recently that either you love or despise, because I think it's easy to hate a lot of startups, isn't it? Because uh, sometimes it's dispiriting, because you see them and you just go, I think you're wasting everyone's time here. 
And I, I remember once a friend of mine was, a friend of mine, someone I used to work with, uh, when we making old, old Top Gear, it was walking around the Birmingham Motor Show, I think, with TV's Tiffany Dell. As there always is, or always was at that show, you know, some new British sports car startup thing yes. that my mate went to. Using Tiff, an old name. Yes, usually Trident or something like that. Yes. And oh, what's that? And Tiff just went, someone's bankruptcy. <laughs> and, it, and it usually is, sadly. Yeah. That's the thing. And it's partly because mm. I think there's a sort of lack of creative thinking as much as. And I did this once on Sniff Petrol, and it still does the rounds on places like Piston Heads. I did this mock press release, which was a tick box form for a new British sports car startup. And it was like, please to announce the engine will be Chevy V8 tick, Ford V8 tick, other brackets to be replaced by Chevy or Ford V8 at the end of the day, which is always what happens <laughs> yeah, with those cars. Body will be made of carbon fibre tick, aluminium tick, glass fibre tick, which will happen later when we can't afford the other two things. And I did that years ago, but it doesn't seem much has changed. Everyone was, oh, we're going to do a supercar, a sports car of some sort, and it's just like... Well, it's going to outperform everything. Yeah. It'll be eco-friendly. There's It'll, plenty of those. Yeah. And I think TVR's a little bit different because they have the name behind them. There's a bit of heritage there, which I know there's no continuity as such, but... And but they Gordon do... Murray they, involved. Yeah, they, it's I, very I, well... I mean, there there are a few brands. holes in their plan, I think. Like, they haven't sort of set up their factory yet or anything like that. But at least they seem to be going in the right direction. And so we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, fair play. Yeah. So yeah. if you're not going to build a supercar, what should you build if you're a Well, this, this brings me on to this thing which was announced a couple of weeks ago. A company called Ineos, so a huge petrochemical company. And the man who owns it, I suppose, is a big Land Rover Defender fan. He was the guy who last year, when they stopped making the Defender, went, we're going to start remaking it. Mm-hmm. And Land Rover went, no, uh, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, but no, you're not. Yeah. And so anyway, he's Except done a rethink. I don't think they apologised, did they? They just no. said, no, you're not. No. Just, you're not. Yeah, just went, uh, we've looked at your plans and sold off. Yeah. So but they, he wasn't taking it over an No, answer. so he just went, okay, I'm going to reinvent the Land Rover Defender myself. And I'm going to create a whole new car, which has the working title of the Grenadier after the pub that it was thought up in. Now, immediately, I think we can see a problem here. He's come up with this idea in the in pub. In the pub. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. then again, some pretty good ideas have been come up with in pubs. Not yes. some of the ideas again, I've had in pubs, mate. Some terrible yeah. ideas. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. I know. I'll iron all my clothes while I'm wearing them. <laughs> um, that's the kind of idea you come up with in the pub. I know. I'll build a car that's going to replace the Land Rover. What, what he's saying... Mm. This man, I've got his name here. Oh, Tim something, Tim Wealthy. Tim Forbidden. Jim Ratcliffe. That's it. Jim. And what he's saying is that he's spotted a gap in the market because the Defender's gone, and it's no great secret, the new Defender, when it finally arrives, is going to be a much more sophisticated machine, much yeah. more sort of aimed at trendies in towns, not farmers. Now, he spotted a gap in the market, but the Defender was selling... I mean, they were making fewer than 20,000 a year. Mm-hmm. But he's immediately coming in. I mean, much fewer, actually. I think the peak sales year for what became the Defender, back when it was the Land Rover, was like 1973 or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it, obviously, because it's an old, old design. So he said, well, there's a gap in the market for a vehicle that was globally selling fewer than 20,000 vehicles. So I'm going to sell 25,000 a year. You go, well, that's immediately. Your math is a bit wonky there. But hang on, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a new thing. And how is he going to fund it? Well, he's incredibly wealthy and his company is incredibly wealthy. The numbers seem to vary depending on where you read, but it's somewhere between 600, 700, 800 million. Now, that is not enough to deliver a world-class globally homologated car. It's just mm-hmm. not. Designed mm-hmm. from scratch. He's going to do a whole leather chassis. It's going to have a petrol or a diesel or a hybrid engine. All well, of that, those. All to, I know, exactly. Well, this is, oh, it's going to be carbon fibre or aluminium or yeah. classified. Yeah. But also have a nuclear reactor. It's going to be made of something. Yeah. Well, now, Italy, they have wheels or it won't. They're admitting they're buying <laughs> in the engines, but from who? <laughs> 25,000 units a year. Let's say, I don't know, rough... 
half split between the petrol and the diesel. The hybrid. This is going on sale within three years. They're not getting a hybrid ready. Yeah, yeah. Not, they're still in the pub. Aren't well, they? I mean, yeah. for Christ's sake, Gareth and I have both but driven the, idea... the Citroen DS5 hybrid, and we know how a major, major corporation can make a total yeah. cock of a hybrid powertrain. So, some bloke called Jim, who hasn't even got a factory yet, is not going to get that working in Correct. three years. So, he's going to do petrol and diesel. He's going to need at least, let's say, 12,000 diesel units a year. He says it's going to be a three litre diesel four cylinder from somewhere. Where's Ford, he getting it from? Nissan. But, but they can spare 12,000 units yeah, from their yeah. factories. <laughs> they need them for their cars, yeah, yeah, which they've yeah. spent many years developing yeah. as multi-billion car-making companies who've been doing it for decades. But they'll be happy And again, to... a man called Jim who's been to the pub has decided, no, he can do better. But well, I'm sorry, but he can't. It's just nonsense. And I don't believe any of this. And it annoys me because I think he's wasting everyone's time. And there's an arrogance to this, which is really what sticks in my craw, that he thinks he can do better than all of these companies, these massive corporations, who, yes, they make mistakes. Yes, we don't always like what they do. But at least they have experience and they still struggle to turn a profit. And the thing which exposes the folly of Jim's pub trip is that at the end of this article in a well-known weekly magazine that should do better than this I and mean, we haven't questioned him at all when he says a typical transaction price of £40,000 that gives us £1 billion in turnover that's assuming about 15% of that is profit well now I've checked this the two most profitable car companies in the world are Toyota and Honda and they both make about 13% profit Really? so yeah. how is Jim when he's got himself out of the pub his making 15% profit also yeah. that's on his £700 million investment here we'll recoup the £700 million investment we've made within five years so he's not going to pay his employees anything or his investment includes wages and land rent and building the factory. It's all utter rubbish. Mind you, I read less about this than you have, although it struck me that they could have been onto something in that, as I read it, he's talking about manufacturing a fairly basic vehicle. This isn't a fancy pants kind of deal. Well, Those door seals probably aren't going to be all that well sorted. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's going to have any air conditioning. Do you know what I mean? It's well, no, no, but this is the thing. He's saying it's going right? to be globally it... homologated and he wants to sell it in the US. Now, if you're going to sell it in the US, okay. or the well, Middle East yeah. for that matter, which would be a valuable market perhaps yeah. for these things, it's going to that have to have air conditioning. Things that a car now legally has to have, if it's classed as a car, not a light commercial, mm. even the rules on that are quite stiff now, things it has to have as a car to be homologated to go on sale in Europe include ABS, stability control, tyre pressure monitoring system. If you want to sell it in the US, it's now Mm. mandatory to have a rear view camera, things Mm. like that. This won't be a simple car because it can't be a simple car Mm. unless it's a light commercial, in which case he's just making the equivalent of one of those cheap Chinese pickups. And the Chinese are doing that perfectly well. And they're not charging 40 grand for them. And they've already got factories. The business model, if I was on Dragon's Den, I'd be going, your business model makes no sense because either you're making this super simple thing, which is a workhorse, in which case, how dare you charge 40 grand for it, or you're making some kind of luxury lifestyle thing, mm. in which case, well, Land Rover are about to do that. His business will be better and, off getting old defenders yeah. and jazzing them up in the way that Twisted do or yeah. Icon do in the US, right. because yeah. that clearly is a business model. Or, yeah. and, or, or and, and, David and, and, Brown are doing with the Mini. Well, yeah, I yeah. suppose, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he seems to have massively underestimated the cost of developing a design that can be homologated and approved for sale. All it's over the it's world. unbelievably but it, hard. To it's do funny these that you picked this one up because the other startup that I thought about was Bollinger and the Bollinger B1, which yes. is an American electric off-roader. The American. That is, American. Um, yeah, it's a Land Rover. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's inspired by. Yes, uh, so an old-style well, Land Rover. Yeah. Very boxy, it looks which, like, is, which is one of the things I love about it. Straight lines. It's really focused on being a tough, practical 
no frills off-roader. And I don't like this newfangled trend of off-roaders getting all luxury and poncing around the streets of London. They should be out in fields, getting muddy, Mm. running over cattle and doing country stuff. And this is a practical, solid... Electric... um, All electric, all-wheel drive. If you imagine a slightly boxier Land Rover with quite a lot of rivets on the outside, Mm. very square lines. It looks like a... With with a very simple interior, just a few analogue dials, that's your Bollinger B1. It Um, looks like a Land Rover Defender built from Lego. There's something simplistic about it, beautifully, and that's quite appealing. I like that idea. I like the fact that going for a niche, it's not trying to be a vehicle for everybody. I was slagging off these Ineos people, but part of it is just I think their numbers are way out of whack. If they weren't going to try and do 2,000 a year, you'd go, well, you probably might just shift those. If it's a super basic thing, as basic as it can be. Actually, the Bollinger thing, making a sort of very flat-sided, simple, but electric 4x4, there will be, it'll be a super niche market, but there's a little market nonetheless for as a farm vehicle, because if you think... Farmer's old Land Rover, or is more likely the case now, probably a Hilux or something. They don't do that many miles in a day, and then they're parked up in the yard at night. You can put them on charge. Yeah, loads of torque. I mean, if you're going four hundred and seventy-two pounds of torque, I believe. Yeah. But I was reading today about the new Land Rover Road Rover. We think it's going to be called at the moment, and how it's going to be an electric car, and how it's a road bike car with limited off-road abilities, and how Land Rover are less keen to electrify the Range Rover and Land Rover because of the issues of waterproofing and electric drive. And if you're going to deliver a car Mm. with the ability to wade and do all that in electric drive, it's not the best way to do it, Uh, you know? Well, that's not strictly true because all the whole Land Rover range is going hybrid soon. Proper plug-in hybrid. It is possible. In and a, they did electrify some old Defenders as an experiment, mm-hmm. though, which they were running around up at Gaydon. Probably still are. But this is the Maybe reason the that they give for the Road Rover being electric, and they're not keen to do it on Range Rovers. They've said this themselves, apparently. But okay, I, I, Yeah, they might not go full electric. I mean, I think the thing is that Road Rover, which also Cargo we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, is actually, I guess, because that's the Jaguar I-Pace platform. It, yeah, it's got to make it work. It can't, yeah. Yeah, it can't just exist for one model. It has to be... Yeah stretched and sold all over the place and mm. yeah sticking a Land Rover badge on it will probably make it more saleable in a lot of parts of the world so there we go but uh, my favorite startup of recent years a car which absolutely rocked my world when I first saw it it was in 2002 I was at the Goodwood Revival and it was the Connaught D-Type, I think it was mm. called. Connaught, a great English-sounding name. Connaught, great race team of the 1950s. Just the sort of name that you would use to build something exciting. And it was a very exciting car. It looked like a Gilbert Invader in some ways. That sort it was of a coupe, wasn't it? A very yeah, long body. Two-door and a little, coupe. And a stubby little tail, almost like a sort of modern take on an Austin 1100. And a two-litre... V10 yeah. hybrid engine. That was the bit that made you go, no, wait, what? Say that again? <laughs> Two litre? Like, pistons like thimbles. Yeah. yeah. Like the old, uh, old BRM engines. Yeah. 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 I, mean, uh, I, I spoke to the guy who was designing that. It was a guy called Jeff Matthews who designed, the man who designed the Citroen AX and the Renault Espace. Uh, lovely man sadly died last year he was a car designer and he did all sorts of stuff but he was a very very genial old chap and yeah it was a shame that didn't quite work out yeah one final thought on this sorry like Jerry Springer because I was dumping on Ineos waste of time but a more positive note my favourite recent startup I know it's a bit of a grey area but I'm going to say it anyway McLaren Because Can't they confected, I know they were yeah. a company, but they confected a car, but a road, as a, as car, a road car from pretty okay. much nothing. Yeah, yeah. And they made a good and job they, of it, and they just keep getting better and an better. An incredible job of it, yeah. Ron I mean, Dennis, uh, king of the startups. Eh? Yes. How, how are we going to remember him? 
announcing the Vanguard GT. For years, the driver has been asking for the ultimate motoring experience of motoring. And it's here, with the Vanguard GT. Vanguard. This luxurious 200 mile per hour, six seat British built coupe will return 300 miles per gallon and plant actual trees as it goes by, thanks to its unique 1.2-litre jerk cycle V12, equipped with our unique nano-induction system and our patent aerogel batteries. Vanguard. And it'll be fully autonomous with the most sophisticated onboard artificial intelligence and dynamic active anti-collision polarized energy defense force fields. Vanguard. In our first year alone, we will sell over 7 million examples of our 150 mile per hour, four seat, mostly British built coupe. And Vanguard will be the leading car company on the planet in less than five years. Vanguard. We've brought together a team of some of the greatest minds from the UK's most successful towel laundry and pet cage manufacturing companies, along with a couple of undergraduate design students to produce this stunning car, which will change the entire world with its amazing Ford Pinto engine and 35 miles per gallon, all down to the magical powers of fiberglass. Coming soon, by which we mean never! Step Petrol, we got a Jones on speed! For the second part of this episode of Gareth Jones on Speed, we have to leave the safe confines of my house. Yes, the studio, yes, my front room. And come outside into the quiet of Stoke Newington, where Richard has driven from his part of North London in Richard's still new to him Porsche. How long have you wanted a Porsche, Richard? God, I don't know. How old am I? 42. So, 42 years. For the sake of argument. (laughs) And is this the exact Porsche? Because it's quite rare. Buying a car, when you drive as many cars as we do, when you actually put your money down on a car, it's a hell of a big thing, isn't it? As it is for most people. But is this the Porsche you've always wanted? Was it a very specific Porsche? No, I've always just fancied a 911. I mean, I've toyed with getting a Boxster as well, because I do like a Boxster. I don't think there's anything wrong with those. Oh, yes. I've looked at all sorts of Porsches. I mean, every so often I see Zog's car or similar and go, ooh, 944s are nice, aren't they? But really, a 911 is what I've really, really, really wanted. And I'm not so fussy about which sort, but there's a bit of man-maths in this, because what I've ended up buying is a 911. But if you're a 911 nerd, you'll appreciate this. It's a 997 Gen 2 Carrera S. And all of this is important in some way if you care about 911s and utterly irrelevant if you don't. But So old shape, basically. This car's nine years old, almost exactly. But the Gen 2 version, so it has a direct injection flat 6, 3.8. Direct injection means a bit more power, but also a bit more fuel economy. And also, because to the 
mirth of some of my helms right friends in car journalism this isn't the manual gearbox this is the pdk double clutch hello because i live in london and because i also promised my wife that she could drive it and she prefers an automatic and i thought actually for london i probably do as well the um, practical porsche you've chosen the, yeah. but this is the thing this car was the first one to have the proper double clutch the previous generation one car had an actual automatic which wasn't very nice and this is much nicer and the color sir this is black this is basalt black i should point out that it's 10 to 11 at night maybe i'll keep my voice down so we don't wake up our neighbours we're walking around richard's nice old volkswagen oh sorry porsche right now and nice wheels sir it doesn't look like a 10 year old car by any it doesn't way. look like a five-year-old car one of the inadvertent benefits this car was first registered in belfast so it, so it um, was so it was yeah, funnily enough my car was originally registered in Northern Ireland hello yeah well, we must so, introduce them yeah. see, how, see, <laughs> see if they knew learn. each other so I have the same benefit that you have which is the Northern Irish plate which is yeah. age related so of course no one knows how old that car is because if it had a mainland UK plate on it it would be a 50 oh I don't know I can't remember now was it a 2008 car so it would have a 58 plate yeah. on it and it doesn't so no one knows how old it is and because the shape of the 911 doesn't change very much and because a lot of people aren't mm. as nerdy as we are they don't realise that it's not got the sort of longer wheelbase of a 991 which is the current car so it just looks like a 911 and Can we get I've in? already had a couple of people go you got a new car and I'm going yeah it's new and they go bloody hell it's like brand new and I'm like no not brand new it's like yeah. it's nine years old and they go no, it doesn't look it. So, yeah. yeah and it Can we get in? Yeah. If you open it, I'm just going to have a quick walk around it. It's a 911, exactly as Richard said. All 911s look exactly the same, don't they? You can't tell what year they were built. Oh, it smells like a hot car. There's a bit of engine oil smell in a nice way. In a nice way. Go on then, Zog's trying to clamber into a Porsche. Leave us a bit further back. That's it. You've got it. Yeah, both. I'll move it forward for you. There we go. Yes, Richard had the passenger seat all the way back. And uh, happy in the back there, Zogger? Yep. Uh, the first Porsche I ever went in was a 911 Targa. This is a practical car. There you go. This is a practical car, you see. Well, it is. I had a bit of money put away, and I was so bored of thinking I should invest it in, like, I don't know, whatever you do if you're a grown-up. And I decided... I'm bored of that, and I just thought these cars now have sort of bottomed out. They've hit the bottom of their depreciation curve, and they're going up. And I think people sort of quite like them because they're a bit smaller than the current cars, so they're a bit more sort of true to the original 911 feel, which is part of the joy of it. Is it's a very little car, relatively. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's easy yeah. to sort of cars, right? drive everywhere in town. It's great, but also just on a normal sort of British B road, you drive something like a Mercedes AMG GT or even a Jag F type's got a wide car. You feel like you're sort of accidentally going to clip mirrors with an oncoming. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I noticed that with that Boxster I had that it was a dinky little thing and all the better for it, more chuckable for it. I just realised it's got an ashtray. Your car's got an ashtray. What was the last car? This does date it in a weird kind of way. Yeah. It's actually got a cigarette lighter with a graphic of a cigarette on it. Nice. And I don't know this. This has been in 911s for years. It's this funny little hole thing in front of the ashtray. And I don't know what it's for, whether you put your fag in that. I think you stand your fag in there. Your your cigar in there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. There's a little flap there. So one of the things that drew me to this particular car, apart from that, it looks nice on the outside. It has the optional, what they call Carrera Sport alloy wheels. They're the spoky ones. And they're my favourite alloys on this car. Correct, yes. So I was, I was very happy with that. On the inside, a few little details. The previous owner, you see, normally when you had the PDK, it had stupid buttons on the wheel. They're not yeah. very nice. They're not yeah. very easy to use. This optional proper paddle shift wheel 
you couldn't have this in the year this car was made. It came a bit later, but it's retrofittable, which the previous owner did. This is no. a, he's had it retrofitted, which I would have done anyway. Nice. But it's about 800 quid, so he's saved me 800 quid. He's also, and this is a really minor, really anal detail, the grills at the front, they've got all kind of pipework and radiators and stuff behind them, including for your aircon. but the holes in the bumper suck in leaves and stuff, and then mm. they go all mulchy around your pipes and rot your pipes. But he's had some mesh grills fitted, which are very subtle. You'd think they were factory, and they're not. Now, this gentleman wow. was yeah. our kind of chap, because he yeah. took care of his car. He also had some aftermarket springs and shocks put on it, which I test drove it, and it was all right. It didn't ruin the ride too much. But I was a bit of a purist, and I got the garage to put the original Did back you? on. Oh. Yeah, because I just prefer it to be stock. Have you noticed a difference? It probably is a little bit softer. But the thing is also, by putting the standard factory spec shocks on there, what's Porsche called PASM. Oh, the so, st- so it's stability got two uh, modes. Oh, uh, no, that's PSM. Stop me when you've had enough of acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's Porsche Adaptive Suspension Management. It's PASM. So basically yeah. it's got two mode dampers, so you can put it into a stiffer setting or just have it in normal, which is tolerable. Mm. It's really nice. One of the things about this car, you just really sort of properly sorted out car, is... The ride is perfectly fine around time. It's not soft, but it's totally livable. Then the faster you get, the better the ride gets. It really smooths out at speed. It's like they've thought about this. And it's like, well, when do you want it to be soaking up bumps, doing its job? When you want the suspension to be working at its best is when you're actually sort of going for it a bit. Because mm. it's a sports car, so why yeah. shouldn't it? Yeah. It's, now, it's you, lovely. And the steering. You, oh, the steering is wonderful. You know, it's just, yeah, yeah, just because it's power steering. But these were the last of the hydraulically assisted uh-huh. cars. Before they went electric. They went electric. Yeah. And it's not quite as busy. It doesn't move around as much as possibly old Porsches did, but it's still, by modern standards, even in normal driving, just going around a roundabout or something, through the wheel, you just get this sense of, you know, changes in the surface and how the grip is and all of this stuff. It's just there's a little bit of feedback coming through. It's lovely. Now, you're a family man. Richard, yes. you have two small children, one a matter of weeks old, the yes. other a matter of yes. only three small years. Yes. Can you get a baby seat in the back of this? Yeah, I haven't tried yet, but I don't imagine we'll, at the moment, go out as a family, all four of us. But I know I get my boy's child seat back there, and he's about to get tall enough that he'll go onto a different, smaller seat, which is yeah. better. But, yeah, a mate of mine who's got a 911 Turbo actually sent me a picture. There's a fox just run by. Look at that. Oh, yes, that's Hello. North London, oh, inner-city urban foxes. A lot of Kentucky Fried shops around here, so uh, he right. hangs out by the back of those. Seriously. Yeah, he has got quite a spotty face. Um, <laughs> so, mate of mine sent me a picture. He's got two girls who are four and six or seven, and he sent me a little selfie of the whole family going out for the day in his 911 Turbo and went, see, you're right, it is a practical car. Because once they get big enough, like his older daughter doesn't need a seat at all. She just wears a seatbelt. And yeah. then it's fine. That, you know, these, as, as a dog's now demonstrating, you yeah. can. A 2 plus 2 yeah, is... almost full-size adult in the back. A 2 plus 2 is the perfect car for adults with two minor children. My Sora is a bit more than a 2 plus 2. It's a proper four-seater. And my two still just about fit in the back. Tycho tends to sit in front now and Violet goes to the back because her legs are shorter. But you can do it. You, you can, can get away it. with yeah, it. You can get yeah. away with it. How many miles have you driven in this so far? Less than a 1,000? Yeah, I think I've only done... I've only had it a couple of weeks or so, so... What uh, sort of MPG are you getting there, Richard, for it uh, in the 30s? No, probably will on a long run, actually, because the other thing about the Pedicago box is it's seven-speed. Huh. It's got quite a high top, so on the motorway yeah it'll just lope along it'll be fine I don't know around town it's sort of it does like low 20s so it's not great but it's not terrible it's a 3.8 litre 6 cylinder engine exactly. it's like you sort of go actually that's quite big so in summation mm-hmm. 
knowing you like I do, I would have thought you'd have more likely gone for an Aston Martin or a Jaguar or something British. Why did you go for a Porsche? Because it's your money. Yeah, because I've always liked them. And like I said, there was some man maths here, which is not daft man maths. It's just that I don't think I'll lose on this. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it cost me money to run because of insurance and shizzle, but that's fine, you know. You can't put a price on things you enjoy. I can't enjoy getting a statement that goes, oh, you've got some stocks and shares and they've gone up 0.2%, have they? I can't just blow money away because I have children and stuff like that. I don't want them to go, Dad, why do we now live in a tent? Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, I do quite hope that one day my boy will go, when I was about three, my dad had a really cool car. I mean, he lives in a tent now because he made some bad investment decisions. But a really cool car when I was little. When my sister was born, he bought a really cool car. I don't know. So I'm going to make sure this doesn't ruin me. But I don't think it's a completely idiotic choice. And unfortunately, an Aston, I don't know, you couldn't get a nice Aston for the money that I paid for this. You could probably get a Jag and F-types have fallen quite a lot, but they're only two seats. And even the XK and XKR... I don't think they've got as much room in the back as this. Yeah, we've still got room for a tent. And also, they're just still plummeting, and this, I think, is just... So, did you say there's still room for a tent? You're considering camping again? You like? No, 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 I would not, absolutely not. I'm just pointing out that if one was so inclined, one could just about put a small tent in the back. Do you approve? I could live, move around. Even though this is a Porsche with the engine in the wrong part of the Porsche, from your point of view, do you approve of this car? I do, I thoroughly approve, yes. I approve this message. I'm Zach. I approve this message. <laughs> Me too. No, I'm not sorry, I'm, but I do I, approve this I, message. I think yeah. I'm, I, what I'm doing, I'm sure I'm not the only person who, who does this, and other listeners will as well, that you sort of have a little dream fleet of cars in your head. Oh, yes. And it could run to dozens and dozens oh, of cars. Yes. But on a more practical and realistic level, my ideal fleet would include, and has always included, I think, a 911 and a Defender. So I'm, I, I'm yeah, really, really yeah. happy. Actually, if I could justify keeping the Nissan Leaf as well, because having an electric car feels like the right thing to have as well for moving around town. Unfortunately, the Leaf's got to go because I just have too many cars and because we also have our family car as well. So it's getting a bit silly. But I just sort of getting close to achieving this sort of dream fleet and having a sports car with amazing steering feel and great engine and everything and then having this silly old 1950s off-roader as I go that brings me more satisfaction than it probably should I hope I'm amongst friends and I can say that about you it. are great and not just the people in this car but the people listening to this show I am so you are not is forgiven you're, you're allowed yeah. you're allowed you're amongst friends you're okay I punch you in the shoulder just like you punched me Chuck, and Saga on the shoulder in the London Grand Prix video all those years ago. All those years ago. You've been listening to Richard Porter. Goodbye. And Zog. Goodbye. This was Gareth Jones on Speed and I was Gareth. I like your Porsche. I like all Porsches, really. We like all Porsches, don't we? We're not so keen on the Panamera. <laughs> to send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter... Or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>